0: Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Chuck. I'm here with special guest and author, Michael Murray. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Now, before we get started, I believe you're a veteran, so thank you very much for your service.
1: Well, thank you very much. Um, sometimes I'm almost embarrassed when people thank me for my service, because I had such a good time. <laughs> I had so much fun. Um, <laughs>
0: I have an uncle that feels the same way.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I thanked them and there was some, you know, there was some terrible times, but um, all in all, I really, really enjoyed my uh, service in the Navy, especially the reserve time. I did four years of active duty and then spent 22 years in the reserves. And I kept, I went into the reserves because it, paid me while I was going to school and mm-hmm. I needed the money and after that I kept saying well I'll quit doing it when it's not fun anymore and 22 years later I, re- <laughs> I retired. So. My,
0: my sister did the same thing she did four years in Marines and oh, she's no reserve she's been out let's see four years 2001 to 2006. Seven, five. You're, I can't do math in my head. From 2005 until now, she's still in the reserve. So she does it because it's what she wants to do and it's fun as extra money while she does school or whatever else she's doing.
1: Sure. It was a the, uh, let's say while I was in the reserves, let's see, they sent me to Spain. They sent me to Scotland. They sent me to England. They sent me to Puerto Rico twice. Hmm. Um they spent sent me to Hawaii for about three weeks. So yeah, it was it was a tough job, but somebody had to do it. So
0: And I bet the stories that you have from 22 years plus made it way into your book.
1: Oh yes. well, the book itself was I was, when I got out of college, I was graduated at 10 o'clock in the morning, and at two o'clock that afternoon, I was in the Navy. And I went, started off and went to a a school in Athens, Georgia. And six months later, they sent me to Guam. And so I was in Guam and I had a job that I really liked, really enjoyed. And I agreed to extend for another year to stay in that job and went home on leave for a month and came back. And when I got back, my boss walked in and said, you're getting orders to another command. And I went. What I said, and so I called up the detailers and tried to oh keep it calm. Yeah, and I asked him what the blank 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 are you all doing? <laughs> and, and they said, "Well, you want to stay on Guam, didn't you?" And I said, "No, I wanted to stay in this in this job." And they said, "Well, we need somebody over there and." you're going. And I said, I know nothing about what they do. And I said, so basically, I said, I have the right rank and I can feed myself. And he said, yeah, that's pretty much it. (laughs) But that was a squadron. I went over to a squadron, which is a group of ships. And I was uh, working for their boss. And those ships were still involved in Vietnam. And but they had been moved from Cameron Bay, which was a big Navy base, down to the Vung Tau area, and they were having trouble getting supplied. So I went in for a week to see if I could help with the supply problems that they were having there. And so this book is mostly based on what occurred during that week. Um, much of it is true, is based on things that actually occurred. Some of it is based on things that I heard, uh, stories that I heard. But I really am a storyteller, much better than, much more than a novelist. And so this book is sort of a series of uh, stories that are linked together, mostly by the fact that I just happened to be there and in that job. And it had to be the most bizarre week of my entire (laughs) life.
0: Well, you know what? It may have been a bizarre week, but it made a great story.
1: Oh, oh, it makes. There are wonderful stories in here. And interestingly, I've read a lot of uh, books about Vietnam, Mm -hmm. and including Carnot's uh, Vietnam and David Halberstam's Best and the Brightest. But all of them are based on combat and Mm -hmm. only 15 percent of the military people that were sent to Vietnam were engaged in combat. The rest of them were doing other things. And this is a book about
0: the other things.
1: what the other 85 percent of the people were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny and it's funny only because it's so bizarre. I mean, and, and. I didn't make this stuff up. It, it's either stuff that I heard or actually lived through. So.
0: It's like my uncle. He is a non-veteran or at the tail end of it. He never left the country, uh, US. He was uh-huh. stationed in South Carolina the entire time he was in the Navy. Oh. And he has stories that he just overheard or just, you know, people come back or uh, they misplace something that dropped off one of the carriers that still has not been found (laughs) you know stuff like this
1: oh yes yeah um and as as i say it was very what i was doing on guam was in support of what was going on in vietnam Mm -hmm. so you know even though i wasn't actually physically there every day was stuff about vietnam and what was going on the bizarre things that were occurring so uh, it was, yeah, it was truly, yeah. truly the most, most bizarre week of my life.
0: Yeah, you look at it as we hear about the war itself, the battles oh. and the ones that were there. Everyone talks about that. But there's so much going on behind the curtain. And some oh, of the yeah. stuff you just have to, when you get away from it, you stand back and scratch your head and go, no, that really did not just happen. Yeah, that's Yeah.
1: You've got to feel, you've got to feel for it. I mean, it's kind of like um, the, uh, when I arrived, I landed in Saigon. And uh, I was assigned to a group of other, we were all supply officers in the Navy. And so I was assigned to, for, for administrative purposes, purposes, this group of supply officers. And Uh, they picked me up and took me over and I walked into the office and everybody was wearing Navy khaki uniforms. Nobody was in combat uniforms. Nobody was carrying weapons. Uh, We had desks. Mm -hmm. You could have lifted that office out and put it anywhere in the world. And it would still look exactly the same. But, um, but I went from there, Saigon down to Vong Tao where the ships were and the, uh, uh, I got there and the week before they had rocketed one of our ships or possibly the pier. But um, and this was during what was called the Eastertide Offensive. And during that time, that whole area was under a yellow alert condition. And you've heard Mm -hmm. uh, these and and a yellow yellow alert condition. It's enemy in the area and um, attack may be imminent. So you had to be on a naval base or a military base from uh, dusk to dawn. And so I flew into the airport and everybody was jumping off the airplane, running to catch trucks and vehicles. And I stood there waiting for somebody to pick me up and there was nobody there. And this was six o'clock in the afternoon. Um, And I was going, okay, what what do I do now? and I found a telephone, actually found a telephone and called. We had a small detachment there and called and said, where are the blank, the blank, blank, blank. Are you guys, I'm at the airport. And, and the guy I talked to said, you know, Mr. Murray, we're, we're really sorry. Nobody tells us anything. We don't, you know, I'll be right there. I'll be there in just a moment. I said, okay. And so, It was sunset. I mean, it was dusk. We were supposed to be on the base at this point. We're driving down the road and all of a sudden he pulls off, pulls off the side of the road. and He said, Mr. Murray, do you know how to use these things? And there was an M16 and a shotgun between the seats. And um, I go, yeah, I've been checked out on small arms. Why? I mean, you know, other than the fact, you know, why do you ask? He said, well, sir, the village we're coming up to belongs to Charlie, which was uh, the name for the Viet Cong. And he said, they've been attacking at sundown, so we might have to fight our way through. And I am here to tell you, there are no words in the English language that will focus your thought process quicker than (laughs) fight our way through. (laughs) And and the the first thing I said is, is there a road around here? And he said, you know, he said, no, sir, we've got to go through. I said, okay. So I reached over and picked up the M 16 made sure it had bullets and kind of stuck it out the window and said, okay, let's go. And he starts driving along and I'm going here I am in Vietnam riding shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) where <laughs> did, did this ever, that wasn't <laughs> on my orders, you know. Um, anyway, yeah, it was that kind of thing for the almost the whole time. And, I, you know, here I was down in the combat zone. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, wasn't any fighting going on then, but I, that's where I was. And, then, and a few days later, I flew back to Saigon and ran into a friend of mine uh, from school. Uh, he and I had been in the same unit when I was in college. And we ended up going to this absolutely wonderful French restaurant in, in downtown Saigon, uh, multi courses. And I'm going, this morning, this morning, <laughs> I was, and here I am now in this French restaurant. So it was, it was.
0: Yeah. How do you? in your brain and the same day go from one extreme to another
1: extreme yeah exactly it's it, yeah yeah and all i can tell you is somebody said told me if you can't laugh you'll go crazy and that's that was it I, all i could do is just laugh i mean this is too strange so anyway
0: oh i love hearing stories like that because it's not just the fighting it's the how did I do this? And now all of a sudden I'm doing this and it's fun and exciting, and it's completely not what we're seeing on the TV.:
1: Oh, yeah, let me tell you one quick story out of the book because it kind of illustrates it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the office I was working in, um, I'd gone down Vungtown to and I was back in in the office. and there was a hallway down that you went to the bathroom, which we called ahead, mm-hmm. and there were offices off to the right. And and they all had the frosted glass pane in the door and then some logo uh, painted on it. And so one of them was said, Navy psychological warfare. Okay. So I went went back to, and I asked the guys, I I said, what do they do? (laughs) He said, we don't know. (laughs) We have no idea. We call them pigs and chickens because we know they give <laughs> pigs and chickens to the villagers. But that's all we know that they do. So, so I'm sitting at my desk, actually working on the report that I was trying to write. And this guy from Pigs and Chickens walks in. And he walks over to my desk, pulls up chair and sits down and starts talking to me. Now, all of us are in khaki uniforms. This guy is wearing what we call jungle silks which are a dark pattern, almost lightning bolt-looking gray and black uh, (laughs) uniform. Not only that, he has a pistol quick-draw strapped to his hip. Now, none of us have weapons except this guy, and he starts talking. And he he was on his second tour back-to-back in Vietnam, which means he has not gone home. He had Mm -hmm. been there probably 18 months. Um, and he was in the Navy, Um, and so I'm talking to this guy, and the best I can, you know, he'd be talking on something, and then he'd go out on a tangent, and it was kind of like watching two gears without a tooth, you know, he's going, and (laughs) and then it slips, (laughs) and and, and I'm, I'm talking to him, and as God is my witness, out of one of the big pockets on the front of this, the squirrel crawled out of his pocket and goes and sits on his shoulder. And he reaches in his other pocket, not missing a beat, still talking to me, and reaches in and grabs a nut and hands it to the squirrel. So, And the squirrel starts eating this nut. So I'm sitting there talking to a nut who has a squirrel on his shoulder eating a nut. <laughs> and, and I know I had one of those looks on my face like, what, what, what? And he goes, and of all the questions that came through my mind, this was not the one that I was asking. He goes, oh, him? He lives in there. I'm going, I'm going you know, if you thought about taking a tour back in the States, you know, Hawaii, San Diego, somewhere back in the States, you know, probably, it was bizarre. I mean, it was truly bizarre. <laughs> oh and, and that that one i mean that's impossible to forget it
0: uh, right right it is funny i'm sitting here relaxing so much i'm in tears because i can actually understand this having un- uncles and cousins that were all in vietnam and hearing some of these stories that they came up with, no, they, they can't be like that. No, that couldn't happen. But here, you're not family and you're telling me something that's just as outrageous as they did.
1: <laughs> and that's just, you know, that's just sort of one of them. I mean, it was like, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I could tell you more, more stories about it, but um, it just, it was, it was bizarre. One time I was, there's a, I went to a book signing of a man that was in his 90s that was in, uh, actually fought at Guadalcanal and walked over when he was signing my book. And I said, do you, do you remember all of this? He said, like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I said, I know. I said, I spent a week in Vietnam and it is absolutely clear. What was going on now as i said some of the stuff were, was not things that i i actually experienced mm-hmm. but heard enough that i knew them to be true so yeah. and that was the most important thing to be about writing this book i want to make sure that any vietnam that 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 reads it goes yeah this is true this yeah. is true and everyone i've given it to said yeah this is true
0: mm-hmm. so You have to keep it accurate enough so you can relate to other veterans. Oh, yeah. You have to keep it accurate enough to be accurate. But at the same time, it's a story. So you can put things in there, embellish just enough to make it where you're going through it and just laughing.
1: The first night I was there, literally the first night I was there, I hadn't been there. Ten hours and was bunking with one of the other officers. And I'm laying in my bed, and in the middle of the night, there was this explosion, boom, shattered the windows, and of course, I figured we were under attack. And I looked over at the guy I was was bunking with, and he kind of goes up, and he shook his head, and he turns over and goes back to sleep. <laughs> I starts going back to sleep, and I'm going, you're going to sleep, and we're under attack, and I go. You know, a whole bunch of stuff went through my head, but the first, the one that came out was, "Uh, don't we need to do anything? He said, no, no. He said, we know we're gonna be attacked if the maids, who are all Vietnamese, don't show up. If they don't show up, it's gonna be attacked, otherwise we're fine. And in my mind, I'm going, that's the intel? (laughs) That's the intelligence? (laughs) The maids showed up, so this isn't an attack? Normally explosions mean you're under attack. I, yeah.
0: Uh, ask uh, any ask anyone that's, you know, heard an explosion, you're under attack, or you know, we need to get paramedics. If you're, you know, not around wartime and you hear explosion, you need to do something. There, there's something that needs to be called someone up. <laughs> well, not just go back to sleep.
1: <laughs> and he was. I mean, he was right. He went back to sleep. I sort of did, I guess, several hours later. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like explosion. Oh, well, don't worry. The maid showed up, so it's not an attack. I went, what if today they decided to surprise us? <laughs> they came anyway, and still, you know. anyway.
0: It's like, we're going through this, and now I'm going to all the episodes of Mash that I watched go run up. I'm like talking to you and now recollecting that TV show, how much is that actually accurate?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, it was probably amazingly accurate. That's that's the thing. I, I, I'm sure once the screenwriters got hold of it, you know, they changed it and that kind of yep. stuff. But, but it's all based on stuff that really was occurring, really going on. Um, the, uh, but, but yeah, it's a, and It's interesting to me, I wrote it mostly for Vietnam veterans, but I can't tell you how many people, non-veterans, have read it and said, it's great to really realize what was really going on, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of bizarre things that were happening there. Um, I have a friend who was in Vietnam about the same time, and... uh, is reading the book. And we got back to Vung Tao and he started talking. Vung Tao was interesting. And this is probably off the subject, but it was a beautiful city on the coast of Vietnam. And there was this unwritten rule that no combat took place in in Vung Tao. And that was where U.S. military went for in-country R&R. Apparently, the Viet Cong were there, uh, North Vietnamese soldiers were there, but the it was unwritten rule. There was no combat ever. So, and he and I got to talking about Bung Tao and laughed until we cried because, <laughs> because it was so bizarre, so anyway.
0: Yeah, I can see that. You're in the middle of a war. You have this mm-hmm. one city that has both sides in the city, and they're cohabitating in the city for art and art.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I,
0: I mean, if, you've got uh, it in modern yeah. day. Where would that happen? I,
1: I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was unique to Vietnam or. Hold on, just. One moment. My my dogs are telling me that something is occurring, but I don't know. Of course. I mean, I really, really don't know. Um, The only book that I can liken this to that I've read um, was Catch-22 because that was sort of, you know, it it started with the premise to to get out of the military on um, a mental Mm -hmm. deficiency. You had to apply for it, but if you applied for it, then, of course, it showed you weren't crazy, so... That was the catch-22. You you had to apply to get out for being crazy, but Mm -hmm. if you were really crazy, you wouldn't have applied.
0: Right, yeah. yeah. Bizarre. But we have this book out. Are you planning to write any more stories?
1: Yes, yeah. In fact, um, I have written a sequel to this book and it takes the protagonist, his name is Jeff. He's just gotten out of the Navy. He's back at San Francisco where most people processed out. He finds he's got about three weeks before he's got to be back for a job and start school. He's shipped a 240Z back from Guam. So he decides to use this time to go visit the um, national parks. And so if you, You're probably not old enough, but there was a great show back in the 60s called uh, Route 66, and it was two guys traveling around that way. And so that's kind of the feeling of that book. But anyway, he ends up, he goes to um, Lake Tahoe, and then he goes to uh, Yosemite and Sequoia, and then ends up on the Navajo reservation. And two things about that one. Number one is I really wanted to write something accurate about what was going on in the United States in 1973, the bizarre situation that was going on here. Um, Plus plus this whole time he's dealing, trying to deal with um, whether or not he really wants to go back he go back and go to law school and become a lawyer if that's what he really wants to do with his life. And he's almost personified, I think, of the little de- devil and angel, but he's mm-hmm. personified these two arguments in his mind. One of the characters he calls the nerd because he's, you know, yes, this is what you need to do and you're on the right path and don't change. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the other one is, I call the siren who he adores, but he doesn't trust very much. Um, And they're arguing in his head the whole time he's driving along the highway. So, Um, but anyway, yeah, it was a very fun book to write. And then I've written stories about stuff going on in the Pacific. Um, What was, you know, I was 25 when I left and I was very senior. I mean, I was the old man. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of the kids, there were 18, 19, 20 years old. And, Um, uh, so you you know again on top of it that was that was kind of bizarre but um, so I've written stories about what we were doing out there during that time and then I also have a series of stories called the Uncle, Uncle Billy stories and they're based on a young man who goes to visit his great Uncle Billy when he needs advice and His great-uncle Billy doesn't give him advice. He just tells him stories. He said, well, this may not be what would happen to you, but this is what happened to me. And then he tells a great story.
0: Yeah, we all have that one family member, if we're blessed to have those older family members when we're young, that won't teach you a lesson. They won't give you advice, but they'll give you a story that starts up with, I did this when I was younger. This relates to... or." You know, one of those whopper stories, but it has a, something meaningful in it somewhere.
1: Yeah, you've got you've got Uncle Billy th- then down there, and um, again, I've written Uncle Billy on marriage. <laughs> <I'm>, un- <laughs> um, and se- again, several Uncle Billy on Valentine's Day. Uncle Billy on, um, I think the toughest thing in the world for a man to do is to buy a girlfriend a gift on valentine's day <laughs> it's just horrible <laughs> so uncle billy has a great story about that so so anyway those those are the kind of things i'm writing
0: i, I could actually i'm not i haven't read the stories but i can just hear some of those tales my grandfather said about you know valentine's day or marriage <laughs> or something and they're so off the wall crazy that you're like no grandpa you couldn't have done that
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly so but anyway
0: <laughs> yeah so, um. but this is great though you have a lot of fun stories out there it's not all you know the heavy stuff these are fun these are quirky these are sit back and laugh and enjoy yourself but actually have meaning to
1: them. actually you know as he said as uncle billy always says you know now not sure this will happen to you, but this mm-hmm. is what happened to me in a similar situation. And then Uncle Billy, and Uncle Billy sits. They go outside and they sit under a tree. And Uncle Billy smokes his pipe. And everybody, if they would never had an Uncle Billy that would do that, they needed one. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so so those are the series series of stories I've written. Um, there, I've put, I've actually. Read several of them. And on my webpage, you can go to the webpage and I'm read, I'll read Uncle Billy stories. And I love writing Uncle Billy stories. <laughs> they're, they're fun.
0: Of course they're fun. I mean, those are the stories you can get into. You have a message, just a message. And then there's a whopper of a tale there.
1: Oh, and yeah.
0: It's just fun because these are the type of stories our young people need because we don't have those elders like we did when I was growing up.
1: I know. You know, I I really have noticed that, that, you know, that so many adults now are working, Mm -hmm. women and men, that there isn't, or retired and traveling, there isn't the mentor, the older mentor that you can come to and say, hey, you know, I really messed this up, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And he goes, well... If there's a moral to this story, you're going to have to draw it. But here's what happened to me in a similar situation. Right. So, anyway.
0: I was very lucky. I had my grandfather and I also had my dad. Between oh. the, both of them, both of them veterans, and both of them, well, my grandpa lived during the Great Depression, and dad was a Korean War veteran. So I had yeah. stories for any occasion that you can
1: imagine. <laughs> oh, I love stories. I love you know, it's interesting, publishing books, people don't buy story anthologies anymore, but you know, if you think about the stories in your life, you know, if you go back and look at your life, there's a, there are a series of stories there, and you remember the stories, and there's times, you know, when you're sitting around having a glass of wine with somebody or whiskey. Mm -hmm. And they start telling you the stories of their life and they're wonderful. I mean, they're wonderful. And um, in the, the prologue to my next book called Journey Home, an American Odyssey, I really do say, cherish your stories. Write them down if you forget them. Make Mm -hmm. sure you have your stories because they are so much a part of your life. So I love stories.
0: And regardless of what the story is, how you went through it, when you look back years later, you can laugh at it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And you also, the other thing about it is as you get older and you have your stories and you got through those, Mm -hmm. you're facing another one. You suddenly realize wait a minute, this isn't any worse than that situation. I got through that one fine and, in fact, got through it and ended up laughing about it, exactly. how ridiculous it was.
0: You go from writing shotgun literally through, you know, <laughs> there. Anything else that happens later on is not going to be as dramatic as that moment.
1: Absolutely absolutely not. I mean, it was, it as I said, it was... It was strange. I'd love, I mean, I'd love for you to read the book sometime and then you and I to get together and- and, This this would be
0: fun because I'm sitting here. I don't, you know, I don't know what your stories are but I have so many family members that had stories and now it's bringing it back the memory of them telling these whoppers and that now I'm questioning, I'd say exactly how much is true (laughs) that Exactly,
1: exactly. You know, Um, and that's, yeah. This is what we have to do. Yeah. And as I say, in this book, I would say better than 80% of it is absolutely true, as I remember it. And the other 15% were things that I knew that occurred. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were a lot of things that I wanted to write about that I never did, Um, you know, just just didn't really work in the book, but there were amazing stories that were coming out of Vietnam, and you know. So.
0: Well, you can always write a short story and have mm-hmm. all these short stories in an anthology, and just print it as a short stories connecting the two that you already written.
1: And I, I really thought about that. I really thought about doing that. So, well, um, as
0: a publisher, I, I think of little tiblets of doing this all the time. So. <laughs>
1: it um yeah sometimes i'll tell sometimes offline i'll tell you some of these stories <laughs> some of these stories because they're mind-boggling
0: <laughs> i would really enjoy that but okay. we are almost out of time so where can our listeners and our viewers find you
1: all right um i have a website williammichaelmurray.com um should be easy to find um, and kind of updates. And as I say, I, I've, especially for COVID, I knew a lot of people were home. So I took the time to actually record some of these stories, hoping that people would use this time to just kind of listen to stories. And I and I um, tried to do ones that were, you know, ones that were funny or humorous and that kind of thing. So they can find me there. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Um, and luckily, I have somebody that, is younger and updates those things <laughs> because of that, I don't have a clue. Um, but she's very good at you know updating and Facebook. So you can find me either place. And if they're interested in the book, they can buy it on Amazon. Here, wait a minute. Now, you may recognize the central character on it because <laughs> he has a squirrel on his shoulder. <laughs>
0: if you wouldn't have told that story it wouldn't make sense but now that you told the story the cover makes 100% <laughs> the,
1: the best compliment I got on the cover was a woman actually sent me an email saying my cover was tacky and I mm-hmm. went yes and so was the war <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes that's exactly. awesome
1: it was beautiful I mean apparently it, it was to us it, it stopped her Mm-hmm. it got her response and she took the time to send me an email telling me my cover was tacky and and I had no idea whether she thought I would change it based on that but all I was doing was yes <laughs> a tacky cover for a tacky war so.
0: that is a good tagline to put on your cover somewhere <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually the oh by the way you can see this. I don't know if you can see it, but this sign right mm-hmm. here. Yep. Was actually the sign in the airport in uh, Saigon that you saw, everybody saw when you got there. And, but anyway, the, the, what a, but it says, if you go into a madhouse and intend to return, take love with you. <laughs>
0: That is wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this. And, and, and literally, if you ever have time, call me, whatever, and I'll read you and tell you some more of this stuff. I'd love well, to. I'm
0: going, I'm going to be linking up with you on Facebook and Twitter.
1: Okay. So All right.
0: We can stay in contact because this has been so fun.
1: I just, as it, as I say, the one of the nice things about it, I'm retired. This is something I've always wanted to do. Um, and I can write a book that I'm proud of. And I really wrote this book so that any Vietnam veteran that picked it up would go, yes, this is true. This, mm-hmm. this, this is what it was like.
0: And it gives you something to laugh about. Not oh yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> I get it 100%. Uh, yeah. I'm, I've never served myself, but my family has, and if they can get around and laugh about something that happened that while they're serving, that is a great thing.
1: If you ever can sneak yourself in, if you have, if there are two or three of them sitting around telling stories, be very quiet and go in and listen because you'll hear some amazing stuff.
0: Yes, (laughs) I know. That's the best time when I was growing up was sneaking into the room while the adults talked. And just sitting there be, and being completely quiet because the things that you've heard is blankety, blank, 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 blank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's words in there somewhere.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. As I say, the guy I was talking to about being in Vietnam was talking about the girls there. Yeah. That's yeah. a story for a different time and a different forum, <laughs> but but i was in his I just yeah
0: very very true but thank you so much for re- being on the show
1: well thank and you for- very much for having me i've enjoyed it very much
0: and for our viewers and our listeners happy reading